Welcome to the Decolonization Action Podcast. We consider how knowledge, medicine, science, and the arts are being decolonized today. My name is Edna Bonhomme, and I'm broadcasting from Berlin, Germany. This is Season 4, Episode 5, Born Free. In this episode, I spoke with Bino from We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio. It is an independent radio format by friends of refugees and other migrants based in Germany. It was formed throughout the German refugee resistance of 2012, and it serves as a platform for all marginalized people, women, children, LGBTQIA, Black folk, and other people of color through the streets, politically, socially, culturally, and economically. Bino and I discuss migration, political organizing, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much, Bino, for joining me today. You are most welcome. So it's um, a pleasure to have you here doing radio work and empowering community here in Berlin, Germany. And as you know, the current situation of migrants and refugees and asylum seekers mm. more broadly is very much one that on the one hand is comes with a welcoming culture by the government, but on the other hand, may not always materialize that way in our society, especially when it comes to the rise of the far right and the extent to which they have anti-immigrant stances, specifically the alternative for Deutschland, or even tensions that may arise. And we see some of those tensions in the past several years with the attack in Hanau, in Chemnitz, in other German towns, things that are not always the race riots or the atrocious deaths, but everyday discrimination that happens. But given all of this, uh, I wanted to start off by just um, asking, what is your origin story and why did you decide to come to Germany? Hmm. Yeah, my story it could be much bigger. For me, uh, as activist today, I do believe uh, that all humans uh, are born free. So people should have the right to move free, no matter where we are coming from, no matter who we are. Uh, all human beings must have the right uh, to, to, to explore what's beyond them. I had to travel uh, to move from Uganda uh, uh, because of a number of uh, reasons. One of them, it was because I wanted to, to change my life. And also I had the opportunity to go out of Uganda as a scholar. Uh, so I went to Greece. I had a scholarship to go to Greece to study iconography. Uh, so after that, uh, after I did my iconography, then I decided to come to Germany. Uh, and I wanted to establish another way of using my ideas of painting icons to, to do, uh, to paint a free uh, bodies like uh, uh, those who have struggled for the rights of other people 
to to be recognized as a human being. So as uh, human is with the dignities, respect, you know. So that's why I, I decided to leave Greece to be here. I want to turn to the work that you've been doing through We Are Born Free Radio, which is, you know, at the end of the day, we are all born free. And although we live in a world that often dehumanizes certain people based off of their gender, class, opposite mm. orientation, it's important to find ways and voices to enact political and social uplifting. In fact, Steve Biko once said, if we're thinking about liberation freedom, he said, if one is free at heart, no man-made chains can bind one to servitude, but if one's mind is so manipulated and controlled by the oppressor, then there will be nothing the press can do uh, to scare his powerful masters. And I think it's so pertinent um, to, you know, in thinking about what freedom means is also honoring uh, this like freedom of the mind and freedom of the radio waves. And um, I wanted right. to ask you, why did you decide to be part of and help start We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio? It was all about uh, my struggle. It's all about my struggle, the, the struggle to break that chain of vulnerability, that chain of illegality, that chain of being seen as a, someone who is dehumanized, you know, to to humanize myself. Of course, all that contributed to my resistance to the system. Most especially, I got more motivated right from Uganda, actually, because my struggle started also from Uganda, you know. In 2003, if I am to recall well, there was a strike uh, at the parish in in Uganda at St. Paul Nakabale Orthodox Church. The priest took that chance to single out me that I, I was the one behind the strike when the students striked. And the bishop had sent me there to help him to organize the youth. So when the strike happened, he said, the, he reported me to the police that, no, this is the guy, the, the one who, who brought in the, the trouble. That one for me, of course, it was not okay for my people and because some people got beaten and so on. But for me, gave, gave me a, a big lesson and a big stand to stand for the truth and to stand for the person I am, what I believe in and what it gave me a position. It was like a a chance for me to reposition myself, to get out of that comfortable zone. I was like a youth leader, sitting close to the reverend, sitting close to the bishop, to be someone who can speak and the bishop here or the reverend. So when that happened, it was a big step forward for me to say, yeah, you are something. Don't let these Babylonians keep you down. <laughs> and yes, indeed, it made me someone. So all that, from there, I started to resist a lot of things. and so. 
started to question a lot of things. And actually also that's why I, I, I refused to go back to Uganda or to serve in the church after my iconography course in Greece. Uh, because I started to question about the way the church conducts itself. I don't want to be part of this community. It was my choice, which was my way to my activism struggle, which uh, opened the door for me. When I came here in Germany and they put me in the lager, so, of course, I had to come down and study the situation. <laughs> but it, maybe it was too long also. I come down too long, two years waiting, uh, observing, you know. I think I was too lazy there. So, uh, then in 2012, I said, hey, I have sat too long, you know. So, where my rights? And this land is a land known as a democratic uh, custod a custodian of, of human rights defenders, you know, uh, custodians of uh, democracy. So where is it if, if people, innocent people, we are kept here like uh, criminals or like, uh, like uh, you know, people who have nothing to offer, who, people who have nothing to do, or people who have forgotten themselves, who have no life beyond the here, beyond eating the kartoffel in the refugee camp, you know? So that's why I resisted and went to the street. And from there, we organized the march to Berlin. And since 2012, I'm here in Berlin, and that was the, the extreme point of my political career. <laughs> when you marched to Berlin in 2012, how many people were part of that effort and organizing? And was it mostly migrants or was it a mix between migrants and Germans? Like what was the composition? According to the vibes uh, we had, the strength, it was we, mm -hmm. migrants. And uh, because I myself, I told my chef, chefin in the lager that, you know, chefin, next month I am going to leave this camp. <laughs> I said, no, no, chefin, no. I am tired to sit here and to be fed like a kid. No, I'm going to protest, you know? And by chefin, you mean, uh, by chefin, you mean like the boss, the manager? The boss, yeah, yeah. The, the housemaster, she was a lady. Mm -hmm. uh, so I told her, and I told her, from next week, I'm not going to take the food packets, because by then they were giving food packets. Mm -hmm. you, they give you papers, you mark, then they look at the paper, oh, you asked a uh, guke, kartoffel, uh, aya, blah, blah, then they give you, you know. I said, hey, chef, I'm getting out of this shit, you know. So uh, then uh, she thought I was joking. Then uh, I mobilized some of the refugees in the camp in Breitenberg, Passau. Mm -hmm. So I told them, hey guys, we should protest and leave this shit. 
if we do not do that, these people are not going to take care of us. You see, we have been here two years. Some have been here five years, seven years. Some they say even 10 years. What are you waiting? You know? So some they say, ah, man, you know, this is Deutschland. Hey, ah, no, they were just to deport us. I said, no. Okay. If you say you are scared, stay. If you are not, if you want, it is your choice, actually. So that's how it happened. And then I went to Andoch Pai, a Passau Cluster Garden, which is close to the University of Passau. And yeah, then we got support. I got support. Uh, from the students from Passau University, some young people, the youth from the Passau uh, leftist groups. There was a group called Passau Bundes. Yeah, it was a group supporting the refugees uh, there. It was activist, activist groups. So, that's how we motivated the German people to support us because they had no start, they had no way. Uh, of course, they were doing demonstrations, they were doing this awareness, but it was not enough for them. That sounds like a, such a wonderful thing that the yeah. act of solidarity, well, first of right. all, migrant-led initiative, but that there was also the solidarity and, and that you were able to come to Berlin when you, when you came to Berlin, where did you and the rest of your co-organizers settle? Like, did you find a place to stay together or were people put into separate places? How were you able to reinvent yourself in a new city? When we came to Berlin in 2012, uh, October around 6, I came the second week uh, because also I was doing some mobilization. I was going around Bavaria, uh, inviting the refugees to come and join the protest in Berlin. So we got that place, uh, the place here in Kreisberg uh, at Oranienplatz. Mm. So uh, we got very big support, surprisingly. Uh, it was actually very cold. That year it was really cold, but people provided us with the tents, heaters, gas heaters, uh, gas cookers, you know, vermifrask, uh, these warm bottles you can put on your wabere or any part you feel cold, you know, and you could get warm. A lot of things they brought to make us warm. So it was that very strong support we got that also gave us a way forward to resist uh, uh, and put a lot of demands out in, in to the responsible people here in Berlin uh, because we were able to reach some people in the Ausland Beholder, we were able to go to address our issues to most of our embassies, diplomats, uh, like the Nigerian embassy, 
Sudanese embassy, Iranian embassy, Ugandan embassy, Malian embassy, Senegalese embassy, Chadian embassy. You know, we, it was like, <laughs> uh, we were really warriors, you know? <laughs> so, uh, of course, it, uh, because of the situation, it was hard for us, all of us to stay in the camp. Uh, so people were providing us day-to-day -day sleeping places. Uh, so that's how also I got in uh, some places here. That's how I managed actually to, <laughs> to survive the cold and to remain actually in, in Berlin. And so all these were adding on my political motivation to stand vital and to make my voice strong, you know. So what happened in 2014 when the Olanian Platz camp was demolished, I sat down and said, oh, what to do, you know, is is this the end of my struggle? I said, no, okay. So what, what's next? Now I need address. So that's why I came here. I asked the people if they could give us this place as an office. And they said, yeah, of course you can use it, you know? So that's where I established We Are Born Free. I said, okay, well, now I have got this place. I started to organize cultural events together with my colleagues who joined me and who liked what I was doing. So I said, but now what can we do? Our voice, it seems is still silenced. So I asked my friend, how, what do you think if we start a radio? And I said, wow, radio, wow, wow, this is impossible. This is something. <laughs> uh, do you think we can? I said, yes. So, so yeah, then in 2016, we, we came out with the idea to develop We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio. And that's how it started. <laughs> Obviously, you've been working on uplifting alternative voices, people who are also migrant, LGBTQIA people, and people who are based here in Germany, and also people who aren't necessarily. And I wanted to ask you, what was the most exciting interview that you conducted? One of the most exciting interview, I think it's not a real one, maybe more than <laughs> more than or in the talk two too, or whatever <laughs> but the most exciting one it was uh, when i did a, a outreach work i was i interviewed one of my best friend uh, she's called latoya eman spain uh, she's uh, living in hamburg she's from Syria alone She's a great activist. Uh, by then, there was a refugee conference in Hamburg. And then it happened that I came across her and I was motivated by her speech. She was one of the keynote 
personas in doing the opening of the conference, mm -hmm. and I was really impressed by her speech. Mm -hmm. But I said, I'm gonna interview you, I'm gonna talk to you. So I approached her and uh, I told her, I'm so and so, I would like to talk to you. We sat and I, she gave a very impressive interview. Uh, it was about her experience mm -hmm. as, a, as a refugee woman or a migrant woman uh, working within the refugee men and in a white environment because they were organizing this conference as migrants, but within the backup of the white people. And then during one of the organizing meeting, she was somehow disappointed with her white women friends, you know? because they, she brought a point, uh, I think she wanted to invite more women and so on, to give more women a platform. And then at first she was ignored by her fellow refugees or migrants who were men. And then these men were backed by the white women. They didn't uh, see her point. It was like, a, don't complicate things. Be we know better than you. You, it seems you are just complicating things. I don't understand. She was advocating for more women to participate, and the didn't, white women, the white women they didn't support her mm -hmm. to put her voice strong and say, yeah, we. Uh, we do uh, we schedule the program like this and so and I think she was uh, at some point left out in the real organization thing you know mm -hmm. so she was uh, happy that the conference happened but she was not happy how things were and we talked very well and she liked the way I interviewed her and you know that was my first interview to do it with uh, migrant women, mm. you know. And she felt comfortable. I was free to ask, her and uh, I acted as a real <laughs> a radio person, you know. So, uh, and everyone who listened to that was wow, wow. Yeah. What you're describing <laughs> reminds me a lot of some of the critiques that black feminists and black leftist women had in the civil rights movement and even after the civil rights movement where what are white women's mainstream feminist movements often excluded black women and the mm -hmm. mainstream civil rights movement didn't often give leadership or front face responsibilities to black women and so it became a situation where black women were systematically left out as leaders mm. in some of these movements, even though the intersections of those movements relegate independent on the labor and the demands of, of Black women. And that's still some, some of those, those debates and tensions still exist today. And I guess right. what you're describing is in a, the context of Germany that 
felt like it was repeated in some ways that the yes. tensions that can happen when intersectionality between race and gender, um, mm -hmm. particularly the position of Black women in these organizing movement spaces can be ignored. Um, and and that's, that's what this account reminds me of. Right. And also, yes, that was her point. And uh, uh, she was strong on that uh, name of solidarity. <laughs> but uh, solidarizing with me, but uh, still bringing in your colonialism mm -hmm. ideologies, so, you know, a uh, priesthood, uh, uh, you know? Mm. Yeah. Some ways solidarity isn't, it's not just about speech and rhetoric, it's yeah. very much about actions. <laughs> right, right. One thing I wanted to ask as well is we're in the position right now that there's been the COVID-19 pandemic and it's been a difficult time for so many people in terms of this global pause, people losing jobs, unemployment, mm -hmm. those who've lost individuals. I am among of them, I, <laughs> I have lost. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> we also have an unevenness at the moment about vaccine distribution. So a recent New York Times article um, I was reading uh, showed that you know, 67 countries have no access right now. And there are some countries that are holding stockpiles of the vaccine, one of those being the United States, Germany, the United Kingdom, in the same way that the disease very much is unequal and how it impacted people from various backgrounds of color. There's also mm. an unevenness in terms of how the vaccination rollout is being put forth. And I wanted to ask, like, how do you think this pandemic from not just a migrant experience, but as an, an African-born person, how has it, how have you seen those inequalities um, being felt? Of course, uh, first it is very sad that uh, there is this pandemic, but uh, in a uh, uh, real analyst uh, about this, pandemic, it brought to us to the knowledge that uh, first to know that uh, imperialism is alive and well. And on top of that, we could say that uh, white supremacy is behind the globalization of this pandemic. Because you remember when it came out, they started to stigmatize the Chinese people. And they thought that it will end there. The disease started to move. China dealing with it, how are we gonna save our people? You know. So by the time Europe got up from their comfortable zone, the disease was already everywhere, you know, and their people started to die. This made it very difficult for them again to have a clear strategy how to deal with it. Until now, it's still survival for the fittest. For me, I could bring it in that uh, white supremacy mm. way that they, they were expecting that for them, they're on the pyramid of knowing everything. So no way the disease can uh, penetrate in their health system, but without analyzing the disease. And uh, so they undermined the, the disease according to their white supremacy. 
And I think what you pointed out to the anti-Asian and specifically Sinophobia at yeah. the beginning of the pandemic and how it continues in the U.S., there's been a rise of anti-Asian violence. The former president of the United States had made very anti-Asian um, comments that there was also a rise in violence. And so those words have meaning, obviously, in terms of how it can cost people you know, their lives ultimately. And um, it's important when we talk about disease to actually talk about the science <laughs> of the disease yeah. um, and not to um, racialize people or stereotype people. Despite this global pandemic that's currently with us, what are the ways that you are exercising joy, healing, and building community in the age of COVID? Um, uh, through radio networks, um, uh, we are no longer organizing the public events, but now I am connecting myself through music. You know, you know, music is the only uh, healing hub of all times. <laughs> so uh, that's how also I have managed to maintain my health out of stress, corona stress, racist stress, you know, <laughs> because if you put all of these stuff in the head, uh, then you are kaput. I, I have no space for that, you know, so I spent uh, my time, actually in my, in Corona time, I became more active, actually. That's where I even composed that song, Corona, uh, which I shared with you. And so I became strongly more active in this pandemic. Cool. Uh, so through music, that's how I am maintaining and uh, keeping on the link with other people. Keeping one another, caring one another is, I think, very important. Uh, if people do care each other, then the disease will come down. But if people do not care, then we can't manage to deal with it. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. And I think that there have been various mutual aid programs and um, people organizing in different communities to try to uplift each other, especially in these times. And I'm really grateful for the different activists that have, and healthcare workers and people who've really tried to uplift everyone as opposed to being individualistic about um, this current moment. And I just want to thank you so much for taking time to be interviewed for the podcast. And I look forward to future conversations and uh, seeing you on the streets <laughs> fighting for <laughs> liberation. Soon we're gonna, yeah, we can uh, have a book reading session again. My name is Edna Bonham, and you're listening to the Decolonization in Action podcast. I would like to thank Bino and We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio. As always, there's a list of references and a bibliography in the show notes. To learn more about the podcast or to find more information about the people and events referenced, please visit www.decolonizationaction.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Deck in Action. If you like what you hear, please rate, comment, and share our episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. 
Thanks for joining us.